we are at a moment in history where how we transact as humans is being turned upside down. We are returning to a system of peer-to-peer -peer transactions that are reminiscent of our ancestors' earliest methods of trade. Yet, we are creating a new system of exchange that is like nothing we have ever seen before. I'm Craig James, your host, and you're listening to Big Audacious Idea, the show that invites you to think big. This season on Big Audacious Idea, we're examining the human experience in the face of uncertainty and change. One could argue that Don Tapscott is the authority on what blockchain is, what it does, and why it matters to all of us. Blockchain is so much more than a cryptocurrency or a security system. It's a platform of technology that affects and influences so many things in our daily lives. Things you wouldn't expect. Don is the executive chairman of the Blockchain Research Institute. He authored Financial Services Revolution, Supply Chain Revolution, and Blockchain Revolution, the best-selling book about how blockchain technology is changing money, business, and the world. Today, we have the pleasure of welcoming Mr. Don Tapscott to Big Audacious Idea. Don knows about technology. He knows about the nature of value and money, and he's a big, audacious thinker. Don, thanks for being here. Well, I'm happy to, to be here, as it were. <laughs> so to start things off, if you'd be so kind, give us a quick one-two on you. Who the heck is Don Tapscott? Well, let's see. Professionally, I started in the late 1970s at Bell Northern Research, exploring how computers connected to a vast network of networks might change work and organizations. And we concluded that, that everyone was going to use a computer and that they would become communications tools. And uh, I wrote a couple of books about that in the 1980s that nobody read. Uh, they were studies in bad timing. I think my mother bought many of the copies, fortunately. <laughs> but um, in the early 90s, I started writing some bestsellers, Paradigm Shift in 93, uh, which was obviously a big book, and uh, The Digital Economy in 95, which was the first bestseller about the web and business. And since then, there have been a bunch of books, 16 of them. And I've also been running a think tank uh, that explores the ideas that I've uh, developed in my uh, books. And uh, the current one today is called the Blockchain Research Institute. We're doing 110 projects about this uh, topic of blockchain and how it changes business in the world. Can't wait to talk about this uh, more with you, Don, because I think people have a preconceived notion of blockchain. A, what is it? I don't know what it is. I'm not sure I understand it. And maybe we'll get through some of that today. Well, Don, in your latest book, you were in your son's latest book, Blockchain Revolution. Immediately following the table of contents, one finds the header, The Big Ideas. Now, Don, we knew we had the right guy for this episode for sure, but now I really know we've got the right guy indeed because this show's about big, audacious ideas and the future. And so maybe the best way to look at the future sometimes is to tiptoe backwards uh, and look at history a bit. And in the book, you, you speak to what's happened in order to inform what's happening. And I found the revolutions to which you spoke fascinating, uh, i.e. industrial or electrical or computational. And uh, if you could share with us some of the things that have happened historically and why this particular revolution we're experiencing now might be interesting or different. 
Well, there are a couple of ways to come at this. Um, one is the notion that we're in a fourth industrial age, an idea developed by Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum. I think it's helpful. First industrial uh, revolution used water and steam power, and it mechanized things like shovels and hose production. Uh, second, used electric power to create mass production. That was the main output. The third used electronics and information technology really to automate a lot of production. And now we have a fourth, the digital revolution that's been occurring since the middle of the last century. And it's characterized by a, f a fusion of technologies and it's blurring the line between the digital, physical, biological spheres. The way that we like to think about it is that this digital age is entering a second era. You know, when I started back at Bell Northern Research, we had uh, mainframes and we we're starting to see mini computers back then. And then eventually we had the PC and that led to the internet, the web and social media and the mobile web and the cloud and big data. And now we're entering into this second era where technology infuses itself into everything, into the physical world as we have billions and trillions of inert objects that are smart and that communicate. We're animating the physical world. And these uh, devices will be doing transactions soon enough too, light bulbs buying power on a market. Because they pay for the power, their reputation as a trustworthy device will be established. But also we have technology uh, coming into our bodies, into every business process, and every company does need to become a digital company. Of course, a big one is AI, machine learning, technology that does stuff that it, it wasn't programmed to do. I came to the conclusion when I was writing the uh, 20th anniversary edition of the digital economy, that the foundational technology for all of this was in fact going to be the underlying technology of cryptocurrencies or blockchain. And blockchain, well, it's not the most sonorous word in the world, but to me, this represents the sort of platform for the second era of the digital age. And it also represents the second era of the internet for 40 years we've had an internet of information now we're getting an internet of value so so fascinating when we think of the time in which we live don what an incredible time indeed and the changes are happening at such a hyper exponential rate in just about every domain and it affects every part of life and when we think of value the concept of value and humans exchanging it you know what what's i guess same or different uh, around how we used to how we do and how we will exchange value and how does blockchain relate to that well that's actually a good way of thinking about all of this We've had an internet of information. If I send you a PDF or an email or a photo or whatever information, I'm actually not sending you the information. I'm sending you a copy. Even with a website, I keep the original. That works great for information. But when it comes to value assets, things of value that belong to somebody, like, I don't know, money, security, stocks, bonds, swaps, deeds, contracts, licenses, 
um, intellectual property, the data in our identities, even cultural assets like art or music or votes. A vote is an asset, something of value that belongs to somebody. When it comes to those things, copying them is not a good idea. You don't want someone copying your vote or your identity. And if I send you $1,000, it's really important that I don't still have the money, right? <laughs> right. So um, for decades, cryptographers have called this the double spend problem. And that's what blockchain addresses. So there's the idea of then not only not copying value in order to transact it. Um, there's the idea of the methods through which the value is exchanged. And if I understand it correctly, and we think about our everyday lives, there's a lot of stuff in the middle, people, institutions, intermediaries who are governing what happens as we exchange value. Uh, could you help us understand the role they play and maybe the role they won't as we look to the future? Absolutely. Because of the double spend problem, the way that we do transactions and deal with assets, value, is through middlemen. And uh, banks, stock exchanges, credit card companies, all kinds of brokers and transfer agents and you know governments sometimes, now social media companies. And these intermediaries perform all of the business and transaction logic for every type of commerce. They identify the asset. Uh, you know, you are who you are. This is a dollar. They clear and settle transactions and they keep records. And overall, they've done a pretty good job, but there are growing problems. First of all, they're all centralized. That means that they'll be hacked. I mean, there are two kinds of these big central systems, those that have been hacked and those that will be hacked. But there are other problems too. The, the banks, as one set of intermediaries, exclude a couple of billion people from the participating in the financial world. They slow things down. I mean, why does it take four to seven days from a housekeeper in Toronto to send money to her mom in the Philippines? And why is she charged 10 to 20%? And the biggest problem is that they capture our data and uh, data is the new asset class of the digital age. Uh, they capture it, even though we create it. And that means uh, a bunch of things. We can't use the data to plan our lives. We can't monetize the data. It's not going to be secure. We're going to be picking up the pieces. Um, in something like a pandemic, all this data is locked up in silos, our health data. So we can't get summary or aggregate data to get early warning systems or stop a terrible thing like this. And a big one is that they undermine our privacy by capturing our data. And people say to me, well, you know, Don, privacy's dead. Get over it. If you got nothing to hide, what's your problem? This is foolishness. Privacy is the foundation of freedom. And all this data represents our identities, and we need to get our identities back so that we can manage them responsibly. So, enter in 2008, uh, perhaps propitiously the same year the financial, these intermediaries almost brought down the whole capitalist system. Um, an anonymous person or persons named Satoshi Nakamoto wrote an extraordinary paper uh, that cracked the double spend problem. And um, he called it, or she, Bitcoin. And this was the biggest innovation in computer science to me in a generation, not because of Bitcoin, but because of this underlying technology that makes it work. 
And why? Well, for the first time ever, people can now trust each other and they can do transactions without a middleman. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor. And every week, I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app. So Don, just to make sure to make sure I understand and our listeners understand, what I think you just helped us see that Bitcoin does not equal blockchain, hardly. Bitcoin is an example of an implementation of blockchain, but blockchain is actually the underlying platform or technology. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, just two additions to that. I mean, Bitcoin has some uses. It's a store of value. And if you're in a country where the inflation rate is 100% per week, that's a good idea. That's a useful thing. It's a medium of exchange. And if you're in a country where you can't get money out of the country because of a draconian government, uh, that could be helpful. There are a number of these use cases, uh, you know, and, and Bitcoin is an asset class, it goes up and down in value overall, it's gone up lots. But the real pony here is none of that. The real pony is this underlying blockchain because now people can trust each other peer to peer. And trust is not achieved by a middleman. It's achieved by cryptography and collaboration and some clever code. Now, Bitcoin and the trust mechanism of Bitcoin, the blockchain, was the first one out. Bitcoin was kind of like the first application of the Internet of Information, which you may wind way back and remember that was email, right? Email was the first app of the Internet of Information. And similarly, Bitcoin is the first app of the Internet of Value. But now we've got these new platforms emerging that are not just one app. They're sort of like the World Wide Web where you can build any app. So I have Hyperledger from the Linux Foundation. Uh, there's Ethereum invented by a 19-year-old Canadian dropout. It's worth 20-something billion dollars today. Uh, but all kinds of other ones, the Cosmos, the Internet of Blockchains. And, um, and we're going to see lots of these uh, growing over the next period, and they'll grow in terms of their capability as well. So basically, we have a new platform now that looks like the web, but it's not for information. It's for assets. And once again, the distinctions are so useful. The difference between information or asset, blockchain versus Bitcoin. And one of the distinctions that's popping to my mind as we chat is the idea of technology and technology assets versus humanity and social and economic impacts. And what's fascinating about what you're describing is the multiple impacts to our life as humans as we go forward and the ideas of equity or lack thereof, peer-to-peer um, -peer versus central control. Tell, tell us a bit more about what you imagine as you look toward the future. What does this mean for we humans as we live our lives? 
Well, there's a big promise of the technology, and then there's the current reality. And uh, there's still a big gap between those, although a lot's going on in many areas. But the promise is kind of profound, and I think that you were just alluding to it. Think about a $50 trillion supply chain industry. Now you got trains and boats and planes and trucks and transfer agents and borders and tax authorities and all these various partners and old systems based ERP and EDI and faxes flying around and paper and delays and lawyers. Imagine if all of that were a shared network state, a ledger, where everyone could see exactly what's going on real time. A single version of the truth. There would be no three-day settlement period for a transaction because the payment and the settlement is the same activity. It's just a change to the ledger where you could have micro payments, you know, the internet of things, the light bulb example that I gave. So that'd be an extraordinary thing. That's one of dozens of application areas that we're looking at. So big, big changes in business. Big, big changes, of course, the financial industry is a huge one. Venture capital's already been disrupted through something called a token generation event, where you can sell a token rather than a product, or it's the token represents a product, or rather than a share. There was a token offering last year of over a billion dollars was raised. There was no investment bank, no stock market, no stock. So the stock markets, of course, will be disintermediated. Ultimately, and all assets will be purchased this way. And all kinds of other big changes in the financial industry. Trade finance, for example, is moving quickly to blockchain. But then we also see big, big changes in the corporation itself, in the sort of deep architecture and structure of the firm. I'm happy to talk about that. Please. And then we have big changes in terms of a general category we call blockchain for good. The kinds of applications that could be transformative for society around environment, financial inclusion, land titles, all kinds of huge opportunities there as well. So a feast to talk about. I don't know where you want to go with that. All right. And there's uh, a bunch from which to choose for sure. And that's what makes this so fascinating. What piqued my interest was the idea or concept of the architecture of the firm. And, and just the language itself is fascinating to me. So share a bit more about what the firm was and what the firm will become based on this more peer-to-peer -peer kind of decentralized thing you're speaking to. It was over 80 years ago, a Nobel Prize winning economist named Ronald Coase, C-O-A-S-E, uh, wrote a paper and he asked a deceptively simple question. He said, why does the firm exist? If Adam Smith is right in the open markets, the best mechanism for allocating goods and people and information, money and resources. Why isn't everybody an independent contractor at every step along the way in production? And he said the answer is, and he won a Nobel Prize for saying this, the answer is transaction costs. And he defined that very broadly. You know, the cost of search. Imagine in an open market, just trying to find all the right information or money or people to, to create a widget. I mean, that would be totally prohibitive. So we move it inside the boundaries of a firm where we have org charts to find people and filing cabinets to find information and controllers to find money and so on.
the cost of coordination, trying to get all these people to work together, that would be prohibitive. The cost of contracting, if every little thing in the economy were a contract. Imagine, you know, a doctor doing a ventilator installation on a patient with uh, COVID-19. They'd need a contract for the ventilator supplier and the, the room uh, where it was occurring for every one of the pharmaceuticals and for all the staff and the medication. I mean, it was, that'd be impossible. So we bring all this stuff inside the boundaries of a firm. And Henry Ford had within the boundaries of the Ford Motor Plant, power plant, steel company, shipping company, glass factory. Why? Because the costs of transactions in a broad market are greater than the costs of doing things inside the boundary of the Ford Motor Company. Long came the early days of IT, back in the early late 80s and early 90s. I called it the extended enterprise and paradigm shift. I said, I think this is making the boundaries of the firm more porous. Then we had the internet. Transaction costs dropped even further and companies built ecosystems. They would focus on what they did best, but partnered to do the rest. That led to outsourcing, all kinds of stuff. Now, what happens when blockchain comes along? You have a platform where you radically devastate transaction costs. You know, search. You can find the right money now by doing an IPO. You can find the right assets. The cost of contracting, this is a thing on blockchain, it's called smart contracts. It's just contracts that self-execute. I think that we're moving to a, a very different way of orchestrating capability in society where, where companies are going to look a lot more like networks and we'll see a much more decentralized model of the firm. And this could be a good thing for innovation for empowerment, for people, for entrepreneurship, and lots else. What's interesting about this is the fact that as you take us through that journey, uh, it speaks to the fact that in the early, early days of this thing called humanity, we had a lot of individual and maybe peer-to-peer -peer exchanges, and then this aggregation happened. And now it sounds like we're in many ways, going back to a peer-to-peer, -peer, decentralized, but connected this time, and with a platform of trust and technology. So interesting indeed as we think about the future. And, you know, Don, one of the things that's uh, interesting about this show and valuable is that it's in many ways timeless. You know, we beg the biggest questions of life and tease our minds to think big about what's possible in the future. Yet right now, the two of us through the gift of technology are able to be distanced yet connected midst a, an historic moment of a pandemic. Well, it is. And with COVID-19, one can, whether one's listening to this uh, years from now, reflecting on what we learned in this moment we're having, or we're still in it when a listener might be listening to it, uh, I can't help but think about uh, how our behaviors or our attitudes will or will have changed because of this experience. I wonder if you have some thoughts on that. Well, I think there, there will be lots of very fundamental um, and maybe even permanent changes. You know, the, the idea of uh, working in this more distributed way and not going into the office uh, has been around for a long time, but that one has definitely gained a lot of popularity. Many people find themselves very productive in this environment. Online shopping, retail is exploding right now. P people aren't in stores, they're online. I think we're going to see Main Street and even many of the big box stores look very different. I think that online learning, I mean, we've got a course on Coursera uh, offered through INSEAD. It's about blockchain and the enterprise. It's quadrupled in its uh, registrations. You know, and 
uh, I'm dating myself here, but I was doing a graduate course in the mid 70s. Uh, I was doing my master's uh, degree and the course was a graduate course in statistics. It was all online. Uh, I went through things at my own pace. There was no instructor or no lecture, you know, but the statistics lecture by definition is a bust, right? There's no one size fits all for statistics. Everybody's either, either bored or they don't get it. I got an A. I got an A plus on this because I just went over things and, until I got it right. And I thought, wow, lectures will be gone in a decade. Well, today, you know, six months ago, you could still walk into a big university and see Statistics 202 and there's 500 people in a lecture theater learning about analysis of variance. But now, nothing, you know, Camus is nothing so powerful, or was it Victor Hugo? Nothing so powerful as an idea as time has come. Nothing so powerful as an idea that's become a necessity. So that's a big one. I, th I think we'll see uh, the end of cash. I'm not talking about Bitcoin or either about corporate digital currencies like Libra from Facebook. I'm talking about central bank digital currencies. There's big activity now to create a digital yen, a digital pound, a digital dollar, uh, and so on. Because of the pandemic, turns out that cash is not just the foundation of organized crime, the drug industry, tax evasion, and other stuff. Cash is also dirty, and it carries germs. So that's going to be a, a big change as well. You're right. I mean, I would never wish what's happened to us on anyone. Yeah. We've been jolted into a moment where the necessity speaks to how we innovate and what we do. Well, I was just going to say some other big changes. I, th I think we'll see the comeback of global institutions, you know, notwithstanding criticisms of the WHO. It's really clear that we need these these global institutions to, to help us out. These things got created, a lot of them after the Second World War in Bretton Woods. But now, you know, we've got the United Nations International Children Emergency Fund and the International Federation of the Red Cross to ensure the protection of children during the pandemic. There's all kinds of stuff like that. You know, another big one is, you'll remember, going back to this this uh, Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher period, government's not the solution to our problem, government is the problem. I think that one's pretty much dead, because people realize we need the commons, we need governments now. I wouldn't want to be a libertarian right now, I think as an ideology, that's in in uh, deep trouble. Lots of changes. I think we'll be a society of clean freaks. We can walk up to people in the future and hug them and kiss them, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, other things. I've been writing a lot about universal basic income, but that's an idea as time has come to, and part of a broader social contract that we're going to need for the digital age. Do you think blockchain or the underlying technologies we're speaking to today can in a way prevent or help us avoid or even fight things like pandemics? Well, absolutely. I mean, this is one of those turning points in history, and there are profound changes, and not just in terms of government. Some leaders will fall and governments will fall, as they should, for failing uh, to respond to this situation. But it's also many of our institutions are being scrutinized and, and our systems, too. And, you know, as I said, the spread of the virus and our ineptitude to deal with it has a lot to do with, with data or lack of it, uh, you know, clinicians, epidemiologists, government authorities, and others 
been working in the dark, virtually no testing in the early weeks. They just can't get the data that you need. Our supply chains have proven to be inadequate. How is it possible that we can't get a paper mask to a frontline worker? Or, or that there are shortages for toilet paper? You know, if you have a supply chain that's open and transparent, then the kind of fear that leads to hoarding can be eliminated because people know, you know, this thing is, the supply chain's going to deliver stuff. So all, all kinds of big opportunities like this where blockchain technology fits really well. Well, that's uh, wonderful to hear hopefulness. And that's not idealistic, what you just described, but very practical. And in the moments of scarcity or uncertainty, there's always an opportunity for abundance and possibility. And Don, you helped us uh, see that light today. And we're so grateful to have had you today on the show. If we were to close with one thing, and we love to do this on Big Audacious Idea, and that is to issue a challenge to our listeners and to the audience. If you were to issue a challenge of a something to consider, even just think about, what would you ask all of us to do or think? Well, I think that with this second era of the digital age, it is a new paradigm. And when you get one of these things, you get a leadership crisis because uh, new paradigms are often received with coolness or worse, hostility, a vested interest fight against change. Leaders of old paradigms have difficulty embracing the new. And there's an opportunity for every one of us to be a leader to bring about this change. And to do that, you got to show some curiosity. I mean, listening to podcasts like this is a good way to start. But uh, gee, a whole new paradigm in technology that's transforming every institution. Maybe I might want to learn about that. Get yourself informed and find a way in your company, your community, any institution whereby you can step up and not just observe the future unfolding, but help us all achieve a new future. And uh, if we all do that, then maybe this more decentralized world that our grandchildren inherit might, I don't know, actually be a better one. Don, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. We've been listening to Don Tapscott, visionary leader of blockchain technology and much, much more. I'm Craig James, your host, and this is Big Audacious Idea. Today, we learned about information as assets and why they should be protected. We learned about privacy and freedom. We also talked about how trust is so important and what trust really means and how we can achieve it through technology. And what does transparency really mean? When bad things happen, whether a pandemic or economic crisis, it's increasingly important, even essential, for us to embrace our own curiosity and to apply that curiosity for us to progress forward. I'm Craig James, your host, and you have been listening to Big Audacious Idea, the show that invites you to think big. Let us know what you think about today's chat by tweeting me at cjamescatstrat. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please rate and review us in your podcast app. It really helps. Big Audacious Idea is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Learn more about our podcasts at evergreenpodcasts.com. I would like to thank our producer and audio engineer, William Pritz. 
production director, Bridget Coyne, and to my co-executive producer, Michael D'Aloya. Thanks for listening. Until next week, don't just think audacious, be audacious. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.